Um, uh, guys, if, you, if this is your first time here this morning at church, I just want to welcome you all. My name is Michael Page. I'm the campus pastor here at our Pooler campus for Connection Church. And uh, I just wanted to kind of take a few seconds and kind of give you a uh, just a, an exhortation, I guess, if you want to get biblical about the words. Um, I, you know, I, I really feel like that, you know, the way God's moving our church, just the way he's moving in general in, in, in the Big C Church, is that he's calling people out to be who's, who he's made them to be. Not just to come to church, not just to check off a box, not just to go to a group, not just to read your Bible, not just to pray, but it ha- there's some meaning behind why you do what you do. And, and this morning, you know, I just wanted to encourage you to, to you know, if, if you're looking for a church home, if you have a church or wherever you're at, invest in those places. Put roots down. Uh, you know, invest in those areas because God's doing some pretty cool stuff, man. Like the last three or four weeks, we've seen people, uh, we've seen four people get saved in this, in this church. It's pretty cool. It's pretty awesome. Um, we've watched people get saved. This past week, I was able to pray with a guy at uh, our local coffee shop, um, and, and he received Christ. It was random. I was sitting there, and again, I got a message and said, hey, let's talk. And so we talked, and then he ended up turning his life over to Jesus. That's pretty cool, right? It's pretty cool. So, um, so this morning, I just wanted to tell you today that God is after a people. And he wants to use you, wants to use us as a church, wants to use the Big C Church to go after those people and to, and to bring them into the kingdom of God and to, and, to, and, to, and to walk alongside those people. But this morning, you know, what that takes in your life is we, we like to call them next steps at Connection. And so we believe in your faith you have a next step, right? So the people that have got, gotten saved the last few weeks, their next step is to get baptized. Like scripturally, if you got saved, your next step, I need to sign up for baptism. After that, you have a next step. That means I need to join a connect group. I need to take heart and soul. I need to, I need to be moving forward in my relationship with Jesus. And so what we do at Connection, we come alongside of you. We like to partner with you, and we like to, um, to, to walk with you and pray with you and walk through those things in connect groups. But we have a, a next steps table out in the hall. You probably saw it as you were coming in. And if you have, if you have something, you're, like, you're here this morning, you're like, man, I, just, I need to get serious about my relationship with Jesus. If that's you, we, we want to help you out with that. Um, if you're here this morning and you've, and you've been trying to do this Christian life alone, we want to help you out with that. We, we have things called connect groups here. And connect groups are a way where we're able to connect each other to a growing relationship with Jesus, to encourage one another, to, to hold each other accountable, to walk alongside of one another, to do life together is what we like to call it. And I can promise you, if anybody here is in a connect group, they will not tell you that it's a bad idea to join a connect group because they'll tell you it's life-changing. Am I right? And so God will move in those moments. And so, and so join up with that. And like, listen, guys, our heart is for you to be actively pursuing Jesus. Because if you walked in this church this morning, which you did, because you're sitting here and I'm talking to you, you walk, there's, a, there's a sign right there. And it says, our mission is to connect you to a growing relationship with Jesus. And a growing relationship with Jesus looks very active. It looks very, it looks very uh, there's movement and energy and life there. It's not dormant. It's not dead. It's not stale. It's not, I'll read if I have time. I'll pray if I have time. I'll serve if I have time. I'll give if I have enough. I'll do this. It's, I'm giving all of me for all of him, period. It's, it's, it's giving everything for him and walking in that obedience with him. So this morning, um, that's, that's just my heart is, that, is, is I wanted to welcome you, and then I wanted to give you the opportunities to do those things because our heart this morning is, uh, in, in, in the last few weeks and last few months has been, God has been turning our hearts to, a, to prayer. Back to prayer. Because I believe if you're going to be a person who is spirit-filled, first of all, do, do we have anybody here this morning that desires to be full of the Holy Spirit? Does anybody feel that way? Anybody? Four? Okay. Three or four people. Okay. So listen, 
I believe if you, if, if you desire to be full of the Holy Spirit, you have to be a person that is, is praying. If we want to be a Spirit-filled church, we have to be a praying church. Right? Can we agree with that? That's, that's, we have to do, that has to be that way. So, so the next few minutes, I just want to spend some time in prayer. And I wanted to announce some things to you real quick. And I want to announce them to you out of encouragement because I'm fired up about it. Because like, uh, I, I'll tell you that back. I'm nervous and fired up. How about that? Um, and so um, this past two weeks ago, uh, we found out that um, our contract for the school to meet here every Sunday is going to be over in December. So we don't have a place to meet. And you know, you're like, Michael, what's the plan? I have no idea. <laughs> no clue. But guess what God does? And I'm gonna tell you what, what happened, so what's happened so much is I've never, ever, ever had a moment in my life where I look back and say, God, you didn't, you didn't take care of me. You didn't, you didn't have my back. I've always looked back and said, God, you got it. You took care of it. You did something. You made a way when there was no way. That's what he did when he saved us, right? He made a way when there was no way. And so what I know is that God's gonna make a way. And but what I want to do um, over the next uh, next week, um, I, I want you, first of all, I want, I want you guys to commit to come back next week. And then next week, we're going to um, introduce a time of prayer and fasting for the next 21 days as a church. Because we believe that a church that's on movement together, that's praying and fasting together, is a church that is, that is on fire and that is on mission, that is, that is working together to see the kingdom come to earth and see the gospel move forward in our community. Because if you're here this morning and, and if that's not your goal, maybe you, you made a wrong turn, you're in the wrong place. Because our hearts should be about seeing the kingdom come to earth and the gospel pushed forward just like we see in Acts. Is that right? That's what we see in the Bible. That's what it talks about. And so next week, we're going to start a time of fasting and praying as a church. And we're going to do that as a church because we want to see God move in our community. We want to see people's hearts changed. There's three things. We want to see people's hearts and lives changed by taking next steps of salvation, of joining connect groups, of those things like that. And number two, we want to see God provide a building for us to meet in next year. We want to see God do that. We believe He will. And the last thing is we want to see... The third thing, the, the most important thing, is we want to see people invest. People invest in the church that God's calling them to, whether that's here or anywhere that God is moving you to go. Like, we, we want you to invest where you're at. Be planted, be rooted. Your time, your energy, your finances, your, your, your love, your life is being given, being poured out to see the, the kingdom pushed forward and the gospel be pushed forward in the community that we're planted in. And so we want, to see, we want to see people making next steps. We want to see a building to be, to be provided for us. And we want to see that people being invested and rooted where they're at. Is that good? Anybody commit to do that with me next, starting next week? Okay. Next week, we're going to, next week, we're going to get a real firm commitment. We're going, we're going to raise our hands. We're going to get fired up together. And we're going to do that together as a church. Because I believe a church that's moving together in one direction is a hard, unstoppable force. But why? One, because it's a lot of people doing the same thing. But it's two People full of the Holy Spirit, unstoppable. We saw it in Acts. And so it's something to get fired up about. A lot of times in church, you know, it's like, oh, we're here again. Let's, let's stand up, let's sing, let's do this and that. Guys, this is something to get fired up about, to get, to get excited. If it's not making your heart beat faster, that, you know, well, man, God's going to do expectancy, man. God's going to do something. Okay, and so this morning, I just want to pray, and then we're going to jump into Ephesians 6. If you want to go ahead and turn there, you can. Um, and so I'm just going to pray for us. Um, so Father God, we love you. I thank you for who you are and what you're doing. I thank you for what you're going to do. I thank you, God, for the things that you've already made decisions on that we can't even see yet. 
God, thank you for the people in this room, God, that are, that are seeking um, something they don't even know they're seeking. God, I pray this morning that you would tear down walls of bitterness, that you would tear down walls of religion, that they would follow in the name of Jesus, Father, because we know that religion will do nothing but bind us. I pray this morning that you would free us up from that, that you would give us freedom in the Holy Spirit to hear the word of God, to apply it to our lives, and to see you work. Lord, I love you. I thank you for who you are. I thank you for all that you've done. I thank you for the, all that you're doing. I thank you for all that you're going to do. Father, come, feel these words this morning. Feel the words of Scripture. Feel our hearts this morning, God. Move in our church, God. Open up the doors for us to be able to, to reach more people with the gospel and reach more people for the kingdom and this community, God. Well, Lord, we just ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen. So everybody hopes awake because it's about to get crazy in here, man. Y'all fired up? All right, here we go. So we're doing good. First time guests, y'all been welcomed. Y'all are fired up. Y'all are part of the family now, so we're good to go. Um, so this morning, I, you know, I just wanted to take that time to kind of pause for a second because I feel like so many times we forget to pause and really see what's going on around us. Like how many people have a full schedule this week? Five people? Man, I need, I need some discipling, guys. Y'all help me out, please. Listen, I got a full schedule. Like, I'm pretty sure everybody's got a tight schedule, right? If I call you, it's like, hey, can we do something this week? You're like, ah, I got something to do. Like, we have tight schedules. We got this and this and this and then this and then this. And then maybe I can fit you in next month, right? That, that's kind of like where we're at. We're in these tight schedules. And what that does, I feel like we get so busy and focused on that next thing on our schedule. We lose sight of what God has done and what he's trying to do in us and around us. Right, We kind of lose that awe and wonder of where he's moving, where he's working at. The little things like somebody texts me and say, hey, I need to talk to you about turning my life over to Jesus. And then the guy gets saved. That, that just kind of doesn't, does it wow us? Because that's amazing how God works and moves. You know, it, what, what it does is it steals that awe and that wonder that God tries to, to use to draw us to himself. But it also, that's the identity that God puts on his believers so that people can see these people are nuts. They're awesome. They're, they're, something's different about them. I'm drawn to them for some reason. There's, there's a charisma about them that I just want to hang out with that person. And that's what Jesus wants to do to, to us and in us through the Holy Spirit, to see people drawn to, to himself, to the Holy Spirit. That's why it says we are in Christ. And so what I want to see in this church is to come alive. But I see so many people coming into churches with so much weight on their shoulders just coming in. There's so much heaviness. There's a, there's a heaviness that, 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 that kind of describes a lot of places that I've been to, to church. And, and, I, and I know there's a bunch of different reasons. Some of it may be people living in sin. Some of, them, some of it may be people who are ignorant to what the Holy Spirit does in someone's life. Some of it may be um, just you're in a tough life situation. I don't know. But what I know is it's, it's okay to come in this place and not be okay. Because I'm not okay. I'm, I, got, I got stuff. We all got stuff. But what I do know is it's not okay to stay in that place. Can we agree? Not so many S's about that one. Like it's, okay. it's not okay to stay in that place. Like as Christians, as fellow believers, as brothers and sisters in Christ, we're meant to help one another along, push one another towards Jesus. But listen, a church should be the most joyous place in the face of the planet. Because Jesus has come. Drop, mic drop, that's it. That's all we need. Jesus has come. Jesus has come. Like, we were not able to save ourselves. God, God has every right to smite us right now because of our sin. But listen, Jesus came and took that sin from me, and I'm able to live free because he came and saved my life, saved my soul, and for eternity, and for all, all, all eternity. Listen, that is something to praise God about and be happy about. 
And if you don't believe it, if you don't believe that, it's hard to get excited about it. But one thing that has to happen in churches today is there has to be a release of control. Let go of the steering wheel. Let go of the control in your own life, or it will never, you'll never understand this. And, you know, the reason I say this is because I, I look at the church in Acts. Who's ever read a book of Acts? It's awesome. Love Acts. I can read it every day. Like, I love the book of Acts. And I look at the church of today, and I see a very watered-down version of the original. Can we agree on that? Like, it's kind of watered down. And, and, to, and one of the things I see is, is, is in, the, in the book of Acts in the early church of Paul and Peter and Barnabas and Titus and Silas and all these guys, it was their commitment to prayer. The church was praying. They were pushing the kingdom forward through prayer. And what I love about that and what I want to do in our church is to bring about a culture of prayer. I want people to come to our church and say, those jokers pray a lot. I want people to see y'all and y'all's connections. Those guys pray all the time. But guess what? God answers their prayers. That's what I want to see happen. And, and you know, the body of people, this, these are a body of people who are passionately pursuing the very presence of God through prayer. Not some religious check mark on, the, on their page that I've done this this week, and I've done this this week, God bless me. That's not what it's about. Like, listen, to be a body of people who are passionately pursuing the presence of God is to be a people who are dead to self. If, if I'm truly dead to myself, I, I, have, I, don't have, I don't have any dreams or goals or aspirations or plans or purposes apart from Jesus. And that's where the flesh and the spirit come into war. Because us in America, I got my American dream tucked away. I got my nest egg here. I got this and this and that. I got my stuff that I want to accomplish, but then I got my stuff for God too, right? So I got my, I'm good over here. But listen, the church you see, in, you see in Scripture that God's people, they were praying, and then you see God moving, and then you see people's lives change, and you see the gospel moving forward like, a, like just spreading across nations. People's hearts were centered on Jesus, and that's why that happened. And you can look in Acts 1 or Acts 4 or Acts 12, and you can see the church was praying. Acts 1, Jesus had, has ascended into heaven, and then the disciples are like, uh, what now? <laughs> What we do? And I said, listen, they, and they thought Jesus was coming back next week. He'll be back. He said he was coming back. Let's just wait around, hang out. Let's wait in this upper room. He'll be back. Everything's going to be good. And so they were like, yeah, let's stop. So what they do, it said they prayed continuously, is what it says in, in, in Acts 1.14. It says they prayed consistently. It said they committed themselves to prayer, is what it says. You go to Acts 4. Acts 4, Peter and Silas, I believe it's, I believe it's Silas. It might have been somebody else, but I, they, were, they were in prison. And like they were released from prison. Then the church rejoiced. And then the church got around them and prayed. And what did they do? They, Peter and those guys, they were, they were being persecuted and in prison. And, but they, the church prayed, God, let us have more boldness to see the kingdom come and the will, your will be done. And the gospel spread throughout all the, all the world. And let, let, us, let us move the kingdom forward. And the, so they were praying that in spite of persecution. And I'm terrified to see the Big C Church in Pooler, in Savannah, in Chatham County, in Georgia, get persecuted. I wonder how many seats would be full this morning if we were persecuted on our way to church. You know what I'm saying? Like, what would the church look like under, under heavy persecution today? Would we be praying, God, give us boldness and courage. God, give us wisdom, discernment. Give us, give us the wisdom and the knowledge and the understanding to speak Scripture clearly. God, give us influence. Look at verse 31 in chapter 4. Can we turn there real quick? Oh, you don't have to, you don't have to open your Bible. I should have it here. It says, after they prayed, the place 
they were, they were meeting was shaken. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and spoke the word of God boldly because they were experiencing the presence of God. And so do you see this, guys? There's a, there's a determination to fulfill a mission, the mission of God. There's a determination. Prayer, it moved the hand of God, and the, which moved the church forward, and it opened doors of influence for the kingdom to be built, right? And we can't do that by coming to church once a week or going to group once a week. This is the purpose why you are saved. To say I'm saved to, to escape hell, that's a slap in God's face. The reason you're saved is to, is to bring glory to the earth, is to bring the kingdom here. That's why you're saved. It's not to say, I got my fire insurance, I'm good to go. That's not what it's about. Listen, we have to hear this this morning, is that prayer covered the church against spiritual attacks. And that's what we're going to be talking about this morning, spiritual warfare. It covered them. It didn't stop the attacks from coming. They're still attacked, but it, but, it, but, it, but it allowed the church to endure under the ta- attacks. You can, look at, you can look back in the Old Testament, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Awesome names. Almost named my kids that. I did not. I was just kidding. Listen, listen. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, those guys were, they were, they were passionate. They refused to bow down to false idols. They refused to bow down to the image of the king, and they were thrown into a fiery furnace. Anybody remember this story from Bible school? Yep, okay, good. All right, cool. So what, did, did God save them from the fire? No, he didn't save them from the fire. They were in the fire. They were in the fire, but guess what? God went in the fire with them. God was in the fire. They were in the fire, but guess what? They threw, they threw those guys in. The, the king says, hey, didn't we throw this many people in? Now there's another one. What the heck? They, Jesus was in the fire with them. We're not saved always from trials and tribulations and, and, and persecutions, but one thing Jesus promises us is that he'll be with us in those moments to deliver, to give us peace, to give us wisdom, to give us understanding, and to see purpose behind the pain and the persecution that may happen in those times. We need to have our eyes set on Jesus to have that point. And I firmly believe that we would see a power in our churches like we would never experience before if our hearts and our minds and our eyes would be completely centered on Jesus. And that's why I'm so focused about this this 21-day fast as a church, because I think if we can focus our minds together on the Lord, seeking His will, His plan, His desires, and His way, that we'll see something amazing happen in this community. I'm down, I'm fired up about it, man. Like, and I told you a minute ago, to be a spirit-filled believer, you have to be a praying believer. You have to be. To be a spirit-filled church, you, you must be a praying church. And I'm committing as your pastor that, that we will make this shift. This is going to happen in our church. We're going to be a praying church who is seeking the will of God. And I, I want you to commit with me and to each other to be able to do that because think about this seriously for a second. If God had his way in our church, how would our church look? There's no boundaries. God had his way, and our way went out the window. What would our church look like? Man, you couldn't imagine it. Think about it for your life. If God had his way in your life, what would your life look like? If you would get out the way, what would your life look like? So my point this morning is ask you, where are you at? Where are you at this morning? Why are you even here this morning in church? What's the point and what's the purpose? And would you be willing to respond to God as he's calling, as he's leading, as he's moving, as he's working? Because it's all about a response. All about a response. Is God calling you to invest? Get involved. Get invested. Get rooted in this place. Or is he, or, or, or is he, is he, is he saying, hey, confess this sin and move forward? Is he saying, get out of this rut that you're in? What is it, where is he calling you? Because each person is different. Everybody in here is different. We're all in a place where we need to take next steps. Some of you may be in a great place. Some of you may be in a hard place. 
but we're all in the place together. And my heart is that I believe that God is trying to, to make this paradigm shift in his church, and I think we need to follow him in this. I think we need to, because it's going to all hinge on prayer in the pursuit of his presence. It's going to. It's going to. And so this morning as we go into Ephesians 6, we're going to look at the unseen battle that's going on all around us right now, all around you in your life. It's going on, and, you know, you know it, it's all going to hinge on that prayer that we're talking about because it's real. If you haven't experienced this spiritual warfare, this spiritual battle, this spiritual thing that, that comes against you, there's, there's three things that, that it may, it may happen. One, you may be ignorant to what it is. You may not know a clue what's happening. You just, whenever I talk about it this morning, you're like, oh, that's what that is? You may have no idea. The second thing is you're an ineffective Christian who's sitting on the sidelines, not in the game. The third thing is you might not be saved. Those three things, if you're not aware of this battle, those three things are kind of where you're at. There's probably a few more tick marks maybe, but that's the three that I pulled out in my, in my prayer time and reading through this. And, and so this morning, as we turn to Ephesians 6, that's what I want us to remember because, you know, it's that important. And so we're going to read Ephesians 6, verses 10 through 12 real quick, and then we're going to jump in, okay? So it says this. It says, Ephesians 6, verses 10 through 12. Finally, all right, let's stop there. So finally, uh, finally means everything I've told you from chapters 1 through 5. Finally, pay attention to this because everything I'm about to tell you is the, the application of chapters 1 through 5. Okay, does that make sense? Everything I've told you, this is how you apply it. Okay? Finally, be strong in the Lord and in His mighty power. Takes all the pressure off us, right? Put on the full armor of God. Why? So that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of the dark world, against the spiritual forces of, this, of, of evil in the heavenly realms. So what I'm saying this morning is we need to, be, we need to start taking it easy on people and realizing there's something else happening. We, 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 we tear people up. And one thing I've noticed about Christians, guys, is even people who've been saved for years and years and years is that for the most part, they seem to be very unprepared for the spiritual battle that ensues as they endeavor to follow Christ. They, they do, and it's sad. Either we don't know about spiritual warfare, we're scared to talk about it, or we refuse to acknowledge it and hope that in the end, ignorance is gonna be bliss. Well, I can assure you that that's not the case. Ignorance will not be bliss in the spiritual realm, okay? And so, I have a funny visual. Uh, I, I, love, I love illustrations and I love football. Does anybody else like football? So I have a little video I want to show you. Can I do that? Okay. This is not a football game. It's just a clip. Okay, so calm down. All right, here we go. Are you ready? excuse for the kicker not to be ready in that situation and Dave Lawson is over wondering yeah, you what know. he was doing and there's the field goal team on the field the holder Dom Maggio wondering where Nick Skiba is it was an unexpected outcome at least for the kicker yeah. all right so it was an unexpected outcome at least for the kicker okay see listen he wasn't on the field he wasn't even where was he at he was gone and so listen I was sitting there watching this last week and I was watching the not top 10 I was like that's an illustration right there man I got I got to do that listen and so what I see 
is I, I see this being Christians a lot of times. The problem I see is when it comes to the time for battle, when it comes time to fight, I either see Christians coming into the game unprepared and late, and then shank the kick to the left, or I see them running to the locker room because they're scared. Because somebody said the word, oh my God, yeah, go. Hey, listen, they, they get scared, and, and in, in both cases, more fearful and underprepared for the battle. They end up being fearful and unprepared. God's called us to be strong in the Lord and strength of His might. Jesus' might. He's already conquered the grave. He's conquered death. He's conquered Satan. We're fighting a defeated foe. Thank God. He's defeated already. We, 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 we play from a path. Uh, we play on a field uh, that's already been won, a victory. We're playing from victory. It's awesome. So uh, here's another illustration. On, on Tuesday, June the 6th, 1944, there's a picture for this, Thomas, if you want to throw it up there. 5,000 ships carrying Allied troops landed on the beaches of Normandy. Who knows about this? World War II, right? The biggest land invasion to date, even. It's huge. Terrifying. I watch movies about it, and I cry. I'm like, don't let this happen in my life, please. It's terrifying. Could you imagine going on the beaches of Normandy, and the, 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 the doors open, there's machine gun fire everywhere. It's just like, it's, it's terrifying. It'll, it'll freeze you, and, and it, makes, it, it makes me nervous thinking about it. But for those of you who don't know it, like, this is kind of where we're at, guys, because these men that we looked at on those pictures, they, they fought and won this war. They've been trained, committed to freedom and to, and, to, and to fighting for their freedom and understood the potential cost that came with being in the battle. And they realized that once that door opened and the boats were landed and the, and the doors flew open, there was going to be this barrage of machine gun fire and these mortar shells, and they still continued to press forward. Could we do that? Right, you know what I'm saying? Because listen, that's where we're at. They understood, and this is what we have to understand as Christians, they understood that the fight was real. They understood that the fight was necessary. And they understood that it was unavoidable. They understood it was real, necessary, and unavoidable. But when Christians get saved and come to Christ, I feel like they get surprised when they start getting attacked. It shouldn't be that way. I feel like it's kind of like somebody on D-Day jumping out of the boat and then turning back and say, bro, they're shooting at me. What the heck? Are they not, they're supposed to be shooting at me? Like, and so that's the way we face our faith sometimes. It's like that we're surprised that we're attacked. But listen, that's where we're at. We're in a battle. And the problem I see in the church, be, it can be summed up by a quote by C.S. Lewis, a great, super smart um, theologian. He, he says, when it comes to Satan, people usually fall into one or two errors. Either they take him altogether too seriously, or they take him to, or they take him serious, don't take him seriously enough. And I've been a part of churches that that, that was that saw demons behind every rock, and I've been a part of churches that have never mentioned the battle at all or the enemy at all. And by ignoring this topic, what we've done is we've ignored a very significant theme that we see in Scripture, and we've created a lot of powerless people, a lot of powerless Christians who go to church, great, who give tithes, great, who are part of connect groups, wonderful. Satan don't care about that. Wonderful. Go to those things. But when you get engaged in the battle, you start fighting for your brother and sister to your left, to your right. You, get, you start fighting in worship for things going on in your life, things going on in the life of our church, like finding a building, seeing people to go from death to life, seeing people get saved and, and discipled and put on mission. We start fighting for those things in the spiritual realm. Satan don't like that at all. Because if what Jesus said in Scripture was true about the battle and we aren't prepared for that battle, it would be just like walking out on the beaches of Normandy on D-Day with a towel and a pool noodle and saying, look, let's go to the beach. 
right? No, there's a battle going on that we have to be prepared for. You'll be destroyed if you try to follow Jesus and ignore the fact that there's an enemy. Destroyed. 2 Corinthians 10, verses 3 through 5. says, though we live in the world, we do not wage war as the world does. The weapons we fight with are not weapons of the world. Well, how do I see them? How do I know them? We're going to read about it in a second. On the contrary, they have divine power to do what? Demolish strongholds. There are people sitting in this room right now that have strongholds that I don't even know about. We have to fight through those things. We have to be aware. That's why we, there can be no such thing as passive Christianity. If we're passive in our faith, strongholds are going to be built, and it's just going to be like a normal, everyday little thing. We have to fight through these things. We demolish arguments and every pretension that sets itself up against what? The knowledge of God. You fight to see it come out. And we take captive every thought to make it obedient to Christ. You take every thought captive. And I don't know if you know this or not, but Satan can care less whether or not you believe in him. He don't care. He don't care if you believe in him or not because he's not after recognition. He's after your destruction. He's after the, the destruction of your influence and, your, and, your, and your, the, the things that God wants to put in your life. And in 2 Corinthians, Paul tells us that even, he, he even disguises himself as an angel of light. That's terrifying to me, man. Like, is this an angel? Is it a demon? What the? What, it, so it's back and forth. And that's why we look at 2 Corinthians 10. We look at it and it says, this is, we take every thought captive and make it obedient to Christ. That means I'm in the Word. I know Scripture. And I'm, I'm putting everything through this filter because this is truth. This is truth. My heart will lead me astray unless it's rooted in truth. So it makes sense that in our modern Western world that, that Satan's most effective attacks wouldn't come from a place that you would expect, right? It's don't come from a place, oh, I saw that coming. That's, that's not how an enemy works. You know, it, it's gonna come from a stealthy, invisible, behind-the-scenes place usually from in, our, in our culture because of, because of everything we're, we're faced with. And that's why Paul says in 1 Peter chapter 5, he says, to be alert, be alert and sober-minded. That means you can't be passive. That means we have to be alert, awake, ready for battle. But one of the more accurate translations talks about to gird your loins. And what that, that's a military term where they had their robes on and they would pull their, their robes up and tie them around the waist so they could run into battle is what they were doing. It says gird your loins, be alert and sober-minded. Why? Because your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion. And what I see in this verse is two things. I see two things in chapter 5 of 1 Peter. The first thing is, is Satan's a hunter. Do we have any hunters in here? Anybody like to hunt? Got one or two. We're in Pooler, I guess. You know. So he's a hunter, and what I know from my, my time as a hunter is that hunters don't care if you see them or not. In fact, you, you kind of don't want to be seen, right? If the, if the deer sees you, what? He's gone. Listen, he don't want to be seen. He doesn't want to be, you to be aware that you're being stalked. You're being stalked like a lion, and you're being about to be pounced on. The second thing I see, I see Peter, um, I see Peter comparing Satan to a lion. And I'm not sure about you guys, but I'm a Planet Earth fanatic. I love Planet Earth. My wife hates it. I love it. Um, one and two, yeah, both of them. I'm also, I'm also a huge lion, a fan of lions. I love lions. I've, I've had the chance to go to Africa and seen some up close and personal. It was, it was, it was nervous, nerve-wracking for me. Um, but there's a fun fact about lions is a lion's most frequent way of killing something is method. You know, I would say just 
he would just, just like rip it up. That would be, that's why he kills him. He just go, jumps on, rips her head off. That's what he does because he's lying. You know? That's not what he does. And he, what he, his, his, most, his most frequent method of killing is suffocation. I thought that was interesting. He, he, a single lion will often get good, a good bite on a victim's throat and, and crush its windpipe. Or when they, when they heal like a bigger, a, big, a bigger prey, like a water buffalo or something like that, one lion of the group will clamp its mouth around the victim's nose and, and when the, when the other lions will hold it down until it stops breathing. Suffocation. And that's exactly what our enemy tries to do as well. He tries to hold us down with things that come against us or even things that we've done to ourselves like sin or, or despair or trials or, or things that are, that are coming against us. And, and then he wants to suffocate us with despair, depression, passivity, insecurity, and suffocating. Because anybody who deals with those things knows those things are heavy, right? They're suffocating. It's like, God, I can't even breathe, man. I can't get a, I can't get a foot up because I'm, I, I'm, I'm dealing with this despair. God, is you, are you going to come through? Where are you at? Depression. I can't do anything. God, just nothing seems to be right. There's a rain cloud over my house every day. In John 10, 10, it gives us a very clear visual of Satan's goal for you in Scripture. Who wants to know his tactics? Anybody? Do you want to know his tactics? Well, here it is. It says he's come to steal, kill, and what else? Destroy. There's three things in there. He wants to steal your joy. He wants to steal your joy. Why, Michael, would Satan want to steal my joy? Well, Nehemiah 8 says, for the joy of the Lord is your strength. The joy of the Lord is your strength. If he can steal your joy, he can steal your strength. That sounds like a pretty good uh, adversary to me right there. The next thing he wants to do, he wants to steal your joy. He wants to kill your influence and your motivation. If he can kill your influence and your motivation, he's got a lot. He wants to get you stuck in despair, in depression, where all you can focus on is where you failed or fallen or, or who's wronged you or, or why you can't get a leg up. You know, or he'll keep you caught on the other side of that pride where you're so self-consumed about how good you're doing. Or, or like how good you look or, or, or how good you are at this thing or that thing. And it gets you stuck in this place of pride and self-exaltation. And what it's really called is self-deception. That's what it's really called. But I want to tell you, pride and passivity, those two things, pride and passivity are the two greatest influ influence killers when it comes to your faith. If you have pride or if you're passive, those two things are going to kill your influence for the kingdom. They will. If you don't believe me, get stuck in one, I'll show you. He wants you in a cycle. He wants you in a cycle of negativity. Who's ever struggled with a cycle of just negative thinking? I just can't get, I'm just, I'm, I don't even want to be here. You know, that negative thinking, that negative thinking, that cycle of negative thinking. Because what that does is it changes your thought process. It changes how you think, how you see, how your perspective on how you do life and circumstances and things like that. And he wants to, he wants you in a constant state of struggle. Always losing, always defeated, always falling. Oh, the rain falls on me all the time. It's just, if it's going to happen to anybody, it's going to happen to me. And these areas are where strongholds get established because Satan has access scripturally to these places that aren't shored up by the gospel. He has authority. God-given authority. Look at Job. God gives authority sometimes in those places. And number three, he wants to steal your joy. He wants to kill your influence, and he wants to destroy your testimony and your life. He wants to destroy your testimony. People are saved by the blood of the lamb and the power of their testimony. 
He wants to kill it. What Paul is trying to do in Ephesians 6, he's trying to remind people that the presence of these spiritual forces in an attempt to turn them away from trusting in self and telling them to trust on Jesus, turn to him, turn to him. And I could come up here and preach until I'm blue in the face, guys, but you're not going to hear this until your heart is right. There, there's people that are just waiting to go to lunch, right? There's people that are fired up. There's people in all different aspects in this room now in every church across America. And God is calling people on the carpet. It's time to wake up as a church and to see that we have a real battle to fight. But we also have a real Savior that lives in our heart that's overcome the grave, overcome death, overcome Satan. That's good. Y'all got to get fired up in here, man. I'm telling you, I can't do this alone. <clears throat> but we have to deny ourselves. We have to turn our hearts and our minds back to Jesus. We have to turn our hearts and minds back to Jesus. Verse 13. After hearing all this, therefore, put on the full armor of God. Not just half of it. The full armor of God. So then when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground. And after you have done everything, to stand. And there are two phrases in here, verse 10 and verse 13 that I want, you, I want you to pay attention to. Verse 13 says, stand your ground, and after you've done everything, stand. First, you, you can't escape this battle. This is a military cry. You can't escape it. You, this kind of language, it takes away our tendency to lean towards passivity. It takes away, it keeps us in that, that, that active state. And there are only two places in Scripture that tells us to run. Only two places in Scripture. One's sexual immorality. The second one is money, love of money. Run away from love of money, run away from sexual morality. Those two things, run. It says run. It says we should flee. Everywhere else in Scripture says stand firm because you can't escape it. Stand firm because you can't escape it. Guys, you can't protect your family from Satan by putting your kids in a private school or limiting their access to the Internet or the outside world. I'm not saying that those things are bad because my family is probably going to do all those things. But what I am saying is we have to learn to stand firm in the battle and not think you can always run from it. We have to learn to stand firm. In verse 10, it said to be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. And this, is not, this has nothing to do with your power or your might, but all to do with his power and his might, leaning on him for salvation, because isn't that the gospel? We need him to save us because we cannot save ourselves. That's what it means. And listen, in fact, if in the battle, if your strengths, your strengths are more of liabilities than, than strengths, actually. Like, you say, I'm strong here. Well, that's actually a liability in the battle. It's a liability. If, if, if you feel weak and unqualified to engage in the spiritual battle, that's a good thing because you're more likely to lean on the power of God than your own. And that's what you have to do. In 2 Corinthians, God tells Paul, What's he say? My grace is sufficient for every one of your weaknesses. My grace is sufficient for every one of your weaknesses. Does anybody have weaknesses in here this morning? We all do. His grace is sufficient for every one. If dependency is the objective, then weakness is the advantage. If dependency is the, is the objective, I need to depend on Jesus, then, then weakness is the advantage. That's what gives you a leg up. That's what happens. But, and before we get into verses 13 and 20, like, I want to show you something very important that Satan has always been a creature of habit in his attacks. Isn't that good? He's a creature of habit. We always know what he's going to do. He even attacked Jesus the same way in Matthew 4. He attacks your identity. We have problems with identity. Who am I? Who am I? 
Where am I, what's my place? What am I doing? He attacks your worth and he, adapt, he attacks your security. Those three things, he did it to Jesus. He said, if you really are the son of God, do this. He attacked his identity. He attacked his worth by saying, won't your angels come and lift you up because you're the son of God? He attacked his worth. He attacked his security. He said, I'll give you all that you see if you bow down to me. He attacked his security. And he does the same thing to us. He attacks us in these areas when he tempts us. And then he, he attacks us with security. When he attacks us with our worth and our, and our identity, he attacks us in those areas. And then he turns right around and he tempts us with his outlets to, to, to fulfill us in those areas. He attacks our, 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 our security, and then he's, he, att- he attempts us to, to work more, work more, work more, work more, neglect family, neglect church, neglect small group, all that stuff. And then he, 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 he tempts us, he attacks us in our identity. Who am I? He attacks us in this area, and then he tempts us with, with sex, lust, pornography, drinking, all these things to fulfill those things. You see how evil that is? That's what he's called to do. Are y'all awake? Are y'all tracking? Is this true in your life, or is it just me? Is this me? It's me. What Paul's doing here is he's trying to get to the Ephesians to see that the gospel not only saves you, but it also sustains you. It sustains you. It puts you, it gives you life. It gives you a new identity in Christ. In Ephesians, it says you've been adopted into sonship. It means you're a son and daughter of the Most High King. That's good news. It gives you, it gives you worth. It says you're heirs with Christ. If I'm an heir of the King, I have worth. I'm gonna walk a little taller. I'm gonna be a little more confident in how I do life. It gives you security through Christ. It says we're his. We're we're found in Christ. We're we're covered in the blood of Jesus. 2 Corinthians chapter one, verses 21 to 23, or 22, it says, now it is God who makes both us and you stand firm in Christ. He anointed us, set a seal of ownership on us and put his spirit in our hearts as a deposit. What's the next word? Guaranteeing, guaranteeing what is to come. Is there any chances that it might not happen in a guarantee? No, guarantee is sure. You have security in Jesus. You never outgrow the beauty of the gospel, guys. You never outgrow the power of the gospel. You never move away from the gospel. The only way to grow deeper in the gospel is to go deeper in it. Dig deeper into the gospel. Go deeper into the gospel. Let's read some more. Verse 14. Stand firm then with a belt of truth buckled around your waist, with a breastplate of righteousness in place, and with your feet fitted with readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. In addition to all this, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. Take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God, and pray in the Spirit on all occasions and all kinds of prayers and requests. With this in mind, be alert and always keep on praying for all the Lord's people. What Paul does in chapter 6 is he shows that it's an application, that the gospel, these things, these, this armor is all pieces of the gospel used to equip us for the fight. Without these pieces of armor, we completely fail every time. And he's not introducing anything new here, guys. It's, it's not like, oh, yeah, at chapter 6, you know, uh, don't forget about the armor. It's not what he's doing. He's, he's shoring up and firming up everything he's talked about from chapters 1 to 5. And that these pieces of armor, what they are is it's just ways of applying the gospel to your life that he's been talking about for the last five chapters. It's ways of applying the gospel to your life. And that's why he says, finally, after understanding everything I've talked to you about, here's the application. 
Here's how you do it. I'm, I'm that guy. Is anybody else that guy? Like, tell me all the information, but I didn't even know how to do it. Well, here it is. He's saying, everything I've taught you, put in the plate like this. Do this, do this, do this. And each of these six pieces of armor I'm about to talk about is simply a way of applying that to your whole entire life. And the idea is that gospel, the gospel should cover every part of your body, every part of your life, because where the gospel has fortified you, where it's, it's solid, where it's, where it's built up in your life, Satan cannot attack you. Where the gospel has fortified your life, Satan cannot attack you. And putting on these pieces of armor, what it does, it, you know, it fulfills Paul's command in, in verse 10. It says, being strong in the Lord. Because if I have the armor, if the gospel is overwhelming my heart, my mind, my feet, my chest, then what it's going to do is going to make me strong in the Lord. The gospel message, guys, is that you're weak. I'm weak. I'm sinful. I'm walking in darkness. Spiritually dead. And all of a sudden, God saved me. God saved me through Jesus. And you're saved when you realize that you didn't have the strength to save yourself. Is that right? That's when you're saved. I didn't have the strength to save myself. And if you're going to be saved, it's going to have to be done for you by someone else. In the same way, you gain spiritual power when you realize I don't have the ability to overcome Satan in my life. I'm going to have to trust in God's grace and power to do it. And real quick, I just want to run through these pieces of armors real quick. And so... And the pieces of armor is where you apply the gospel in each area that you're vulnerable, then what does this mean? Stand firm in the belt of truth. Number one, your belt goes around your core, right? It goes around your core. I don't, you know, I don't think anybody understands that. It goes around your core. It holds everything up. It, it, and back in the day, whenever Paul was writing this, he was, he was attached to a Roman guard. He probably saw swords and bat, uh, battle armor. And it was, you, you would hold swords and you would hold your, your battle equipment on your sword. So everything you fight with is held on your belt. Everything is, is centered on the truth. The truth is what? Scripture. The belt of truth implies that you, you're grounded, your perspective on everything in life, on what the Word says. Your marriage, your sexuality, uh, the purpose of life, generosity. And you, you determine truth by what God says is truth, guys. Because if you read anything in this scripture and you don't agree with it, guess what? You need to shift your mind a little bit because this is right and you're wrong. It's truth. It's truth. It's truth that's inerrant. You understand that truth, and this is what I want you to say. I'm gonna ask you this and I wanna tell you, like truth can't be created. Truth can only be revealed. You wanna agree on that? You can't create truth. Truth can only be revealed. That's a fact. I'll, I'll, I'll argue with you until I'm blue in the face. It can only be revealed by the truth giver. And so my question is, how do you determine what's true in your life? For some people, they rely on their internal compass, like what feels right. Well, Jeremiah says, the heart is deceitful above all things. Who can trust it? Who can know it? They, let God, they, let, they may let God influence, but at the end of the day, it's what feels right. You know, for others, they feel like the whims of every popular opinion, whatever their friends or their favorite news channels think, that's what truth is. The only way to escape the deception of the enemy is to let the word of God shape your thinking. That's the only way. Why do you think Satan wants to keep you from reading the Bible? Who, who struggles with reading their Bible and praying? I do. Why does, why does that happen? If I get this in my mind, I'm, I'm a warrior. So God, do you know the word of God, guys? 
or do you know the word of God? Because I know he has attacks on us. He attacks us in the word by one or two ways. First way, he wants us to doubt it. The second way, he wants us to neglect it, to push it away. And so my question, I kind of want to do an experiment this morning, is, is what you believe about this book and does how you treat it line up with what you believe about it? Because I, just, for, just, for a, just for a show of hands, I'm not, I promise you I'm not setting you up, but who believes this is the inspired word of God Almighty? I believe it. I believe it. Now, there's probably going to be a few. Who's ever read this from cover to cover? One, two. I asked myself that question today. I'm like, do I really believe that if I haven't read it from cover to cover? If this is the word of God Almighty and I haven't done that, do I really believe that's what it is? Does that make sense? And listen, if we haven't done that, do we, do we treat it like it's the life-saving truth that we confess that it is? Or do we not? And that's not meant to, to condemn anyone, but it's meant to show us where we're at. Does that make sense? Breastplate of righteousness. It covers our heart, our organs, like righteousness, holiness. We have this, we have a personal responsibility to follow Jesus and his holiness, who he is, what he wants. We have, we have a responsibility to have the belt of truth and to obey it, to, to, to read it, obey it, walk it out, walk it out. Because what I promise you is Satan's gonna use whatever part of you that isn't surrendered to God and conform to his truth as the focal point of his attack. That's what he's gonna do. Whatever part of your life is not brought into obedience with God will be Satan's focal point of that attack, I promise. Number three is the, is the, is the feet fitted with readiness. Guys, so many times I feel like people think that preaching the gospel and being uh, evangelists, people think that's what pastors are supposed to do. It's not true. We're called to preach the gospel, to share Christ. The feet fitted with readiness is an is a offensive weapon. It's, it's, it's sharing the gospel with people, and that's how we overcome Satan's work in people's lives. That's how we do it. We share the gospel. We share the hope of the gospel, the hope, the love of Jesus, the gospel. The word of God can only go to work once it's been spoken to someone, and hearing the word of God is the only way that creates interest in the word of God. And so many times we shrink back in fear, and God's called us to be ready with the gospel of peace, to share, to share, to understand. As a church, we need to be people who's doing that. We don't need to be like David who fell into adultery. He was at home, disengaged from the battle when everyone was at war. Everyone else was fighting. David was at home lounging. Some of us are like sitting ducks for Satan because we're bored. God has made it so that we're, there's, we're only healthy as believers, as Christians, when we're in the fight. That's pretty interesting. Only we're healthy is when we're fighting in the battle. <clears throat> Number four, the shield of faith. This is probably the most important one. The King James Version says, above all else, take up the shield of faith. Above all else, take up the shield of faith. And this is really a way of summing up all the other pieces. Like you're supposed to hide behind the shield of your faith, which means coming against them in your mind with what God has told you is true in Scripture. So Satan, he wants to turn, he wants to hurt you. He wants to throw some darts at you, some flaming arrows meant to burn your life down. He's going to say, you're no good. 
you're nothing, you're pathetic, you've lost, your marriage is over, you're a terrible person, you've, you've committed sin too much, you, you're, you're, uh, you're a bad parent, you'll always be sick, you'll never get out of debt. But then you throw your shield up and you remember Scripture. It says, surely goodness and mercy will follow me all the days of my life. I'm blessed coming in and going out. I'm greater is he that is in me than is in the world. God has a plan to prosper me. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. My God is working all things together for good. He will never leave or forsake me. Truth, truth, truth. And I can assure you, once you go down a list like that, Satan will be nowhere to be found. He'll be gone. Sometimes in your faith, your own faith by itself isn't good enough in every situation. And before all you guys get crazy on me, we're called to live in community. Sometimes you need your friends, your brothers, your sisters' faith to build you up, to walk with you. Get planted in a church. Get vested in community. Community, community. Take the helmet of salvation. Again, repeats the new way some, Paul has already said, he's already talked about putting on the helmet of salvation, letting your mind be flooded with the scripture. Every morning, there's two things you need to tell yourself. Jesus, I can't do anything to make you love me more, and I can't do anything to make you love me less. Thank you, Lord. And, and the next thing is, God, everything I need is in you. Everything I need for joy and life is in you. And it's when you start wearing that helmet of salvation that we gain assurance in our salvation. And number six, and the last one, is our sword of the Spirit, Scripture. Scripture. Sword of the Spirit. He's telling us to get the master the Bible, to read it, to memorize it, meditate on it. When Jesus was tempted by Satan, the only words that Jesus spoke were words from where? Scripture. Scripture. The Word of God is not a sword, though, until it's worked its way into your heart and out of your mouth. You can't just fight the enemy with this thing. You can't just go, that's not how it works. I told you that before. It has to work its way in your heart and out your mouth. You have to speak it. And lastly, he says to pray without ceasing in the spirit on all occasions. Pray, pray, pray. And this morning as we, as we prepare to leave, I just want to share that you have an enemy, guys. You have an enemy. He's against you. He's against you. But guess what? God's for you. God's for you. And nothing you can do will separate you from that fact. Nothing. Psalms 23 verse 5 says, you prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil, my cup overflows. And what I see in there is in the midst of the battle, in the midst of the fight, in the midst of the despair, in the midst of the darkest night, God has prepared a table in the presence of that battle that I can come sit in front of him and talk to my father and let him speak life in me, over me, and while my enemy is trying to fight against me. And guess what happens when my dad's around? My enemy don't do much. When I was a little kid, my dad would come outside if I was getting beat up or something. Those little bullies, they'd leave quick. That's, I know it's hard to believe, but, <clears throat> but, but I'm telling you, I'm telling you, when God's around, whenever your life is, is shored up by the gospel, when, you're, when you have the armor of God on, when you, when you understand that God has prepared a table and you're in the presence of the battle, that gives you a confident hope, doesn't it? And so this morning, if you're here and you know you need Jesus, you know you've been fighting for so long and nothing's happened. You feel like you're just kind of boxing at the air. 
Come talk to me. I'll, I'll be up here for as long as I need to be. I'll pray with you. I'll talk to you until I'm blue in the face all afternoon. Just, just don't leave the same way you came. So let me pray for you, and then we'll go. Father God, we love you. I thank you so much for being a good God, a God that loves us, redeems us, restores us, renews us. God, I pray for the person here this morning that has a heart that's, that's just torn, that's tired, God, that's just overwhelmed. I pray that you would just restore them this morning, God. Give them new life and give them new hope for the future. Father, I pray for our church. I pray that you would just give us influence, Father, in a way that we've never imagined. I pray that we would just be a people who are after um, the people in our community to see them go from death to life, to see them come to a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. Lord, we love you. And I just pray as we go, God, that you would empower us to do your work. You would give us uh, understanding and wisdom, Father, and revelation to do kingdom work this week in our jobs and our families, God. God, if there's someone here this morning that doesn't know you as your Savior, God, do not let them leave here without talking to someone about it, Lord. We just love you. So thankful, so honored to be able to just to serve you and to love you all the days of my life. Lord, we just ask you just to bless us, to continue to, continue to move in our church. Just in your name I pray, amen. You guys have a great week.